Rob Moore, welcome to the Inspired By Show. I never liked about me that I used to be fat. I didn't get attention from friends or girls. It was, it was girls because it was about that age. And I learned to really people please and to, to try and go and seek out attention. The type of hater that I, that I struggle the most with. It's the, um, the ones that go for your business. That gets me because I take my business really seriously. And I don't want my business to be damaged. I haven't had a warning yet, but I like to think if very powerful people started warning me, okay, that's my level. But I, I felt like shit, I'm getting close to that at some point. Welcome to Inspired By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Rob Moore, welcome to the Inspired By Show. Thanks for having me on the Inspired By Show. Well, actually, I was going to say thank you for having me in your studio. Pleasure, yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming you, to thank... our studio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And thanks for giving nice, us the opportunity. Looks nice, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm glad. It's, uh, it's yeah. nice seeing it on the big screen. It's slightly different to our usual studio, but good to, uh, to be up in Peterborough on this uh, yeah. not-so-sunny day. <laughs> so right. let's jump in. So for those people that maybe do or don't know too much about you, the show, as I mentioned before, is very much around a bit about you that maybe people haven't heard of before. Now, let's start with what they do know about you. So, Rob, you're known as a disruptive entrepreneur. That's mm. part of your brand, having you know, a very successful podcast. What do you believe in the concept of disruption? What, what is a disruptive entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I think an entrepreneur who goes into a, a space that's already monopolised or... or close to competition. You could think, for example, London taxicabs and then Airbnb. You could think, for example, London taxicabs and then Uber comes along. Um, or hotels and Airbnb comes along. And these companies are founded by very entrepreneurial, disruptive people who seem to like the fight to challenge the people who have the monopoly in the industry. And there, it's quite a rare thing because most people, they don't have the stomach for that. Mm. You know, calling out your competitors and making out that they do things wrong um, or nicking all their staff or whatever else is, yeah, it's not for everyone. <laughs> um, so a disruptive entrepreneur will go into a space that they perceive could be improved the service could be improved, the speed could be improved. Um, Richard Branson is someone who used to do it a lot when he was younger and more disruptive. I think he's got older now and a bit, bit less disruptive, mm -hmm. but he used to go, he'd go after the gyms or he'd go after the airline industry. He'd, he wouldn't pick industries because necessarily they were new. He'd pick industries that, that were older, but he thought needed modernization and free markets and fair competition. Um, so on a, a big scale, that's what a disruptive entrepreneur is. Now, not everyone can be that. And I wouldn't necessarily say I am that because mm. my brand of disruptive or disruptor or disruptive entrepreneur is a part about 
how I am and my companies operate, but it's also a, partly about the type of people I interview on my show. Um, but anyone can disrupt themselves, i.e. I'm in a nine to five job and it's not really for me and I want to start my own business. And then you go and start your own business. That's disrupting your entire life. Do you have kids? No. Well, if you had kids, you know, that would be disruptive to you being a mum going and starting a, a business, mm. for example. Um, so that can be someone who's disruptive, who disrupts themselves and their own somewhat safe trajectory that one day they decide to change. Um, entrepreneurs can be disruptive if they campaign against the government, against a cashless society or a central bank digital currency or they campaign to get taxes down. Mm. These can be disruptive entrepreneurs. So, you know, you can be disruptive without just breaking shit and creating chaos for the sake of it, which mm. I think sometimes some of my staff think is what, <laughs> is what I do. Yeah. It's my job description. <laughs> I think a lot of people, though, as well, Rob, think that that is what you need to be. Because when I've obviously I've worked with you for some time and I've come across you for a while now, and a lot of people think that sometimes disruption is being rude, being aggressive, swearing, you know, being abrupt. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think if someone naturally does swear, uh, it... it it's probably authentic to swear. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, he f's and blinds all the time. And if he's started speaking rather posh, one would wonder what's up with Gary V. Mm. <laughs> so someone like him's going to get away with it. Mm. Whereas my friend Mark Victor Hansen, you know, he would never swear anyway. And that's so. Yeah, I think sometimes people think they've got to be more controversial, more divisive, more polarizing, shocking with their headlines and their thumbnails and. This does raise a good debate because if you are not controversial and polarising and if you are not putting fear in your email copy and your thumbnails aren't all... then you're probably not going to get any clicks and any engagement. But you still need to be authentic to who you are and some people, you know, I don't really like taking pot shots at people. Mm. I could go and take pot shots at all the existing entrepreneurs and probably create a lot of noise, but I'd probably create as, as many enemies as I did friends, and I certainly would create enemies of them, and these might be peers of mine. So I, you don't have to be it for the sake of it. Um, but the one thing I think you do need to be is disruptive of yourself mm. and your own comfort and your own fears. Because you, you know there's the saying, comfort is the enemy of greatness. And sometimes people get very comfortable in the way they do things and then they get stuck. Mm. And if you don't disrupt yourself, i.e. Um, maybe you need to get into AI and figure it out, even if it's a bit scary or technical or um, you know, maybe you do need to hire some staff and put a bit of stress on the overhead. Um, because if you don't disrupt yourself, your competitors will come and do it. Mm. They, they will quite quickly evolve you out of the industry. I see it all the time. I, I see people too slow to respond. And then they're, oh, well, it doesn't work anymore. Or I'm only going to do online because face-to-face events don't work anymore. And then they do online and they get really low sharps. And, oh, the sharps are shit. Oh, I'm, not going to, I'm not doing this anymore. It doesn't work. Mm. Um, or oh, my Facebook ad account got shut down. Instead of doing ads on podcasts and testing TikTok and Twitter ads. But it is, you have to have the appetite to be an entrepreneur 
to embrace disruption because it never stops. Mm. It's like, I don't, I don't hire perfectionists. I don't like hiring perfectionists because they want their ducks in a row. And as an entrepreneur, you never have your ducks in a row. Um, and as soon as you do, someone comes up and fucking shuffles them around everywhere and <laughs> pings them off the wall. Um, so, yeah, there's some things to, to think mm. about when it comes to disruption. But no, you, you, you don't, you shouldn't be inauthentic. Mm. Like if you are Mr. or Mrs. Vanilla, make a brand around being vanilla. Mm. Make a joke about being boring. You still can create a brand. You know, if you're a bit more geeky and technical, you know, create that as the brand. Um, and, and you can still be disruptive being that. Mm. If but you don't like conflict, John, mm. oh, just a people pleaser. Um, you, you can make something out of that. Mm. But it's about being authentically you in the most traditional and the most the best way. And I think one of the things that I see a lot, and we both see in our industry, is this need to be authentic. And I think the word authenticity has been thrown around a lot in industries where it's like, you know, be authentic, be yourself on social media. But one of the things I value about yourself, Rob, is you are very similar, whether you're in a boardroom, on camera, you know, you show up in the same way. And I've heard you say some hilarious things and some some very direct things in both settings. I use some very silly things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some things yeah. where I'm like, which the camera wasn't on yeah. at that point. But yeah. where did your need for disruption come from? Was there a moment you could think back where you're like, that's where you started stretching your comfort zone or being a bit more disruptive in your own, in your world? Yeah, I mean, I kind of always was. I was a bit of a rebel at school. Mm -hmm. And I used to do spontaneously silly things, some of which I regretted and some of which were (laughs) funny. And there was always a fine line between the two. And I didn't like authority. I didn't like being told what to do by teachers. I didn't really respect where they were, um, even though I could learn to um, play the game and toe the line. Um, But as I've got older and and don't need to do that because I've built my own wealth and you know, I've got a decent amount of freedom that I've created and I have to toe the line anymore. I can just express myself in the most natural way possible. Now, I agree with you about this word authenticity. I think about it a lot and I, I, I try not to say it too much because I think you can sound a little bit hippie. Um, it's a very challenging thing to know what being authentic is because essentially it is being yourself, but surely that's one of the hardest questions in life to answer, who am I? You know, if I asked anyone now to think about answering, who are you and what are you meant to do with your life? Um, You know, what's your vision, your mission? What what are you on this planet to do and be? You know, these are the hardest questions to answer. Most people don't ask them. And your authenticity comes from within that. So, And people get confused because some people um, take being authentic as being obnoxious or being over emotional. Um, Well, I'm just an an emotional person and they try and use that as the excuse for being loose or, you you know, out of control. Mm. So, yeah, it's very easy to say, hey, just be authentic and in reality you need to answer who am i what do i want to do with my life and then the answers to those questions are going to give you some sense of authenticity um the things about you that are authentic are the things that um you naturally and spontaneously are and you say and you be and you do and the things that 
if you didn't worry about how you were judged, these are the, the things you would say and do. Mm. You, you know, there's so many topical and controversial subjects right now. You know, my wife and I have these, I think, very authentic conversations. I, I want to get her on the podcast, but she won't have it. But, you know, about, like, for example, if um, women should be paid as much as men mm. uh, and the gender discussion... You know, my wife, for example, um, she said to me that most men who are transgender, i.e. appearing to be women, not the other way around, mm. are perverts. And I actually thought, you're probably right. And... Um, that, you know, that was a very authentic thing to say. Bearing in mind, she's a very kind person. The reason I thought before I said it is because I thought, oh, my wife's going to not like me saying this. But my wife is a kind, considered person who can really see someone's point of view. But she's like, but if some man is in the toilets pretending to be a woman, but he's got a dick and it's swinging under his towel and he wants these women to look at him, he's a pervert and he shouldn't... He, he, that, you know? And she's right about that. And that's a very authentic thing to say. Um, you know, I, my wife and I, Gemma, we were discussing the gender pay gap. And I said, no, women shouldn't be paid more than men. Women that offer more value should be paid more than men. And men that offer more value should be paid more than women. And so people who offer more value should be paid more, whether they're a man or a woman. And I said, you know, in the world of modelling, I think women are more valuable to society than men and therefore probably paid more as, as a model. But as a footballer... You know, at the moment, Messi and Ronaldo are worth more than, um, you know, the equivalent superstars in the women's mm. game. Although the women are doing themselves a big favour at the moment because mm. they're bloody good. And if they get the eyeballs and they get equal viewing and they attract equal sponsorship and they're equally valuable, they should be equally paid. Mm. But not equally paid because they're a woman. Yeah. And that's, that for me is being authentic. But inauthenticity would be, oh, well, I can't say that on a podcast and I'm, I might get cancelled mm. and trying to tone it down. Or inauthenticity would be just doing, just taking little bite-sized bits of that and putting it on TikTok and trying to make it go viral. Mm. Authenticity, hopefully, is us having a conversation about it. It's, it's definitely uh, something that people should think about a lot. Mm. Yeah. Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from our listeners. And it really means a lot when you all share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real. So I have a favor to ask. Can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message? Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story. If you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone, then I'd really appreciate it. So if you haven't already, share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know would benefit. Now, back to the episode. I, I totally agree. I think there's an element of honesty that comes with authenticity and being honest about your opinions. And I remember when I first started in this industry, not wanting. So let's say you said that and I maybe disagreed. I wouldn't have said anything 
because I thought, well, I can't, I can't be disrespectful. Rob's come on the show, he said this. Whereas now I found my voice that I can actually say, well, I disagree with that or I agree with that. Yeah. And I have had people on the show actually that I've gone, do you know what, it's a fantastic share. I actually totally disagree. Mm. And that's okay because we're allowed our opinions. Now, Rob... Yeah, disagreeing isn't disrespect. It's how mm. you disagree. Exactly. So if you go, fuck off, you <laughs> dick, that might be disrespectful, especially yeah. if you're in my studio. <laughs> um, but respectfully disagreeing is is not disrespect. Mm. So this is the thing that I think the world can, one of the ways the world could really get better very quickly is if we are able to disagree respectfully. But most mm. people can't. If you, know, if you think all women should be paid the same regardless of value, and I don't, and you think I'm Satan for that, you know, we're never gonna be able to have good discourse. Because um, I always learn a lot when I talk to my wife, which is one of the reasons I wanted to be on the show, but she won't because she just get, would get really embarrassed. Mm. But you know, she makes good, logical arguments. And even sometimes when I don't agree with her, I'm like, yeah, that's very logical what you're saying mm. and, and very respectful. So yeah, if we could disagree better, mm. the world would be a better place, a lot better place. And that disagreeing, I think, comes back down to the first thing you said about it's who you are and what you're here on this planet for. Because I genuinely believe that when you know who you are, you almost know your boundaries and your values and your opinions clearer. You're not as easily swayed. Would you say that through your journey, you've got clearer on who is Rob Moore and why you're doing all the amazing things you're up to? Yeah, I, I would say I think so, which means mostly yes. There's always an element of myself. I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for me, but... So there was an element of myself that is still finding who you are. Yeah. You know, one of that is the aging process. I'm 44. I might be halfway through my life. If you look at the averages, I hope I'm a bit less than halfway through. And so you find out things in your 40s about yourself that you didn't know when you were 30. You didn't know when you turned. Sometimes it's wisdom and sometimes it's, it's not. It's like you can't train as hard. You mm. can't, haven't quite got the energy that, that you thought. So there's always an element of continually finding yourself. Um, but the, you know, the major part of your personality and, and your persona is probably already formed, they say, by about age seven, don't they? Mm. Um, and really, I think that journey is just about liking yourself. So I, I never liked about me that I used to be fat. I really disliked that about me. I was quite shameful of, of that. Um, and my therapist said to me once, well, if, you know, the overweight, younger version of you was sat there, how would you be to him? And I said, I would be embarrassed. And she was like, that's sad because, you know, he's a nice boy. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Yeah, he actually probably was a nice boy. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, like, I didn't get attention from friends or girls. It was, it was girls because it was about that age but it was also from friends and so I became quite needy and I learned to really people please and to try and go and seek out attention. The way I would dress, the way I would speak, the way I'd act and I hated that about myself, that I, that I needed to do that, that I was doing that. Mm. Because, oh, well, why can't I, you know, why can't I just be me and they come to me? Um, but the reality is I was just a little boy trying to find value, trying to find interaction and importance and respect and being liked and loved by people around me. So I, I no longer feel shame. I no longer 
dislike myself for who I was. Um, because if you think about it, if you, if you look at who you are, as long as you know you're imperfect um, and you don't try and hold yourself to a standard of perfection, um, which I think some religions put pressure on us to do that, then um, you're probably quite likeable in a lot of ways. And there's probably things about yourself that you don't like that you should like. And you're probably not giving yourself enough credit. You, you might have good communication skills, you might have good empathy skills, and you're not giving yourself any credit for those things, and you're devaluing them, which is why your prices are low, mm. um, and why you're not very good at, or don't go and do more, more networking, or don't go and ask for things, because you're worried about rejection. So I guess as I got older, I, I, I wouldn't say I loved myself, I don't. Um, I would say I, the things I really disliked about myself, I stopped disliking them about me and seeing more of the things that were likeable about me. And then the big thing is um, not having a, a, too much concern for what others think of you. Mm. And this is a fine line as well because, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you should give zero fucks. Well, if you don't give a fuck what anyone says or does or thinks, you, how, how are you going to evolve your product and your pricing? if you don't listen to the market and the people. And you, you can't just go around being loose with your emotions and loose with your tongue because you can do and say what you want because you, it's a free world and um, everyone's awoke who disagrees and everyone can get to fuck because you give zero fucks. You, you can't go and behave like that. But on the other side of it, so many people are not expressing and therefore repressing and um, minimising themselves for fear of being judged when they're judged anyway, so they might as well just be themselves anyway. Because, mm. you know, people say, I just want to be loved for who I am, y yet they're not showing the world who they really are. They're showing Most people will show the world either an exaggerated or minimised version of themselves. So if you, if you show the world an exagger a falsely exaggerated or minimised version of yourself, if that's what you show to the world, you'll attract the clients and, you know, the people in... The, the intimate relationships into your life attracted to the false versions of you, not the real version of you, and therefore you will always live a lie. Mm. I don't want to live a lie anymore um, because I, I lived, I wouldn't say I lived a lie, but you know, I was always trying to cover up who I really was. Um, and that's sad. Mm. And it's, it, it's soul destroying actually. Yeah, I was either making up for and over or undercompensating all the time and either keeping quiet when I should have spoken up. I speak up a lot about the government now and the taxes and the central bank digital currencies and the cashless societies. I speak up about those things and for years I was a coward. I wouldn't speak up about those things for fear of being cancelled or worse. And so or the authentic you speaks up where you need to speak up and it shuts up where you need to shut up, you know, when you don't really know what you're talking about um, or, you know, as much as I, I didn't take a pot shot at religion, but I said, you know, sometimes religion puts pressure on us to be a perfect, perfect version of ourselves. But the Ten Commandments are a pretty fucking good way to live your life. And so, you know, I remember, um, you know, parents would say things like, well, if you've got nothing kind to say, don't say anything at all. If you've got nothing useful to say, don't say anything at all. And that's good. That's also good advice. So now when to speak up and now when to shut up. Mm. 
I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, Rob, you, you so beautifully explained how you've been on that journey. There are probably people watching or listening that are maybe in the middle of that, that still may be struggling with not speaking up about being honest and maybe not loving themselves. How did you make that transition? Um, good question. Good in the sense that it's not an easy one to answer for me. There wasn't a eureka light bulb moment in space and time where everything stopped. Finally, you know, <laughs> I have a voice. Which is good, by the way, because I think a lot of people are looking for yeah, that magic Yeah, they are. Look, yeah, and it doesn't happen like that. Often, right. ha often happens organically or it surprises you. Mm. Um, certainly there's an element of, well, let me take this a different direction. Um, I interviewed someone on my money show who lives on the streets. And he's always asking me for money and he's, he's a good lad and we get on well and um, I stopped him and I chatted to him and I asked him some questions and I went and saw him today and he, um, he'd watched the video and he's, the first thing he said to me was, oh, but Rob, you... Don't listen to the negates, you know, like, you're a good guy, you're a good guy. And when I approached him to say hello to him, I wasn't even thinking that what my critics might have said on the videos or the negative negates as he called them, I don't even think about that. And so what was interesting thinking about him was that he noticed those critical comments. And for me, that's growth in myself because I wasn't even thinking about the negative comments. I was actually just thinking, I, I said to him, the video's doing quite well, you know, on our new channel and, you know, there's some good comments and you come across really well. And that's what I was thinking about saying. So I think once you can get to the point where you don't give oxygen to the negativity, like, like I will read the comments and, you know, occasionally the feedback is useful. For example, I was being interviewed by Yanni on Yanomise, and I was fidgeting a lot, I was doing this with my legs. And it's, it's something I do all the time, um, but I'm not really aware of it. And quite a few people, oh, yeah, he must be hiding something, you know, shaking his legs, I'm, uh, hiding something. But it was good feedback that it's probably quite distracting if I'm doing that the whole time, you know, if I do this for two hours on your <laughs> show. So I'm able to look at a comment and go, actually, yeah, all right, he's a bit rude, but made a good point there, that's something I could work on, versus someone just being a dick. Mm. Um, I don't know when, maybe around 2016, maybe that was the point, and, and I, I can't even tell you why, maybe because I've done a load of public speaking, and for you to be the very best on stage when you're a public speaker, you have to take the risk of ridicule. Um, a joke, if you, if you half tell a joke, it'll always die. You have to go for it. But the more you go for a joke, the more you risk it dying. Um, so I've done a lot of public speeches to the point where I, I knew you had to be bold on the stage to, to land the message. And, and it would almost be to the tune whereby the more bold I was, the better I was received. So I guess then I'd found my voice on the stage and so then that just translated into comments on social media or how I do business. Mm. And, and I also like to challenge convention. Like, for example, most meetings are boring. Not, not the ones I'm in. Because I like to redesign and reinvent what a meeting is. So I, I make sure there's 
there's always jokes to be cracked. Um, and they're not necessarily funny out of context. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we had a board meeting yesterday. And apparently there's, someone, there's a staff member in the office that likes me. Uh, and apparently she calls me daddy. And I said, well, don't worry, I won't shag her. Um, <laughs> and of course, everyone in the board, I don't know if you can say that now, I don't like it cancelled. <laughs> Couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> um, but of course, everyone in the board meeting is either like, oh, this is so inappropriate. Or, or, or laughing or... Ooh. And I, I don't think they have those kind of meetings normally. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and, and clearly someone felt comfortable enough to tell me that one of my staff members in the sales team calls me daddy. I can't wait for the person to listen to this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, if there's an opportunity to lighten the mood in a meeting so you can actually enjoy your day instead of it all being serious, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. Mm. But I was like that at school when I was a kid, you know, because mm. like part of people who are depressed or sad, which I was at school, is you want to lighten the mood. Mm. So that is me being authentic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, reinventing how things are done and facing the fear of ridicule and rejection and not really worrying about it too much. Like, what mm. does it matter? Doesn't matter, does it? If I fuck up today, you're not going to remember tomorrow. You've got your own problems to deal mm. with. You're going to be more worried about them. Yeah. And, and if I fuck up bad, I can always apologise and you'll probably forgive me. And if not, it's a good lesson and I won't do it next time. You know, we overthink things sometimes, don't we? Mm -hmm. We do. And Rob, you mentioned there, obviously, 2016, You've been in, in industry and doing this and building your brand for a lot longer before then. What made you want to get into quite a, you know, a vulnerable industry to be in and being a personal brand and building progressive What's a to what it is? What do you mean by a vulnerable industry? I don't take my clothes off or anything. Like, <laughs> so you don't have any fans? <laughs> what I mean is being the face of it. For 100 million quid, would you have an OnlyFans? No. I would. I thought you might. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I'm thinking, do you know what? My partner Cedric being going, yes, you would. Would you, really? Go I, on. I don't, I don't think I would. You don't think you I would? Don't, I don't so think you've I got would. a price because you're not sure. <laughs> so a quarter of a billion hmm. have your own OnlyFans. Well, yeah, I suppose you could probably define it then. I mean, surely the big reason most women wouldn't do it is mm. because of their kids. And if you don't have kids, well, mm. and if your partner is like saying, well, you would, he's not. <laughs> He's a social media strategist. So he oh, well, there you go. Like, so he can get you more clients yeah. then. So. <laughs> but, you know, we, we joke about OnlyFans, but the industry you've gone in is you are the face. You are the face of the disruptive entrepreneur. You are the face of disruptors. You, you know, one of the faces of progressive. What made you want to go into an industry where you are so essentially, you know, people are looking and seeing Rob Moore? Well, I mean, part of that is because I didn't have that as a child. So there is mm. a part of that playing out in my adult life, which I didn't like about myself 15 years ago, I thought it was just a big play for attention and it was sad. And now I've made 200 million pounds wow. revenue out of it. Top line, not net profit, but still, still good. <laughs> you don't want it, you'd take it, I'd take it. It's a good, it's a good amount of money. So, you know, I, you, I guess you could say that I turned my pain into gain. And I'm, I'm quite proud of that actually, because, uh, you know, the other thing I could have done is, hidden away and being shy and let everyone else do it and stay broke. Um, also, I, I wouldn't say I actually love it. Like if you go on my social media, there's hardly any personal stuff. And if you look at my personal stuff, you can see it's, I'm not quite that natural. It's a bit awkward. Um, 
I just do it because it's business. Mm. Yeah, I, I, social media for me is 99.9 .9 recurring percent business. And I do it because it's a great way to generate free leads and you know followers and fans and clients and community members. And um, so I play the game mm. Be because it's, you know, if you, if you build a good personal brand and you have a good few, few hundred thousand or few million followers, which anyone can actually do, um, certainly anyone can get 10,000 good loyal followers. Mm. Um, it's the cheapest form of advertising. You don't mm. have to pay 25 pound a lead, you know, on, on an ad platform. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess, I think some people think that I, I really like it. It's natural to me, it's not. It's something I learned to do because I like money. Mm. And then I just, I guess, got comfortable with it. Mm. And Rob, you've, you mentioned comfort there, but you also mentioned that you're usually, you're comfortable with being on social media, but you're also pushing always into the discomfort. You're always, you know, what else can we do? What can we change? What, what would you say has been the most discomfort you've experienced in growing your brands, growing your businesses? Um, I mean, initially, the haters can get you down. Mm. I'll tell you the type of hater that I, that I struggle the most with. Mm -hmm. It's not the critic, because you can learn from them. It's not a hater, because, you know, you, most of them are just unhappy people. It's not the wanker, because a wanker will always be a wanker. It's the, um, the ones that go for your business. You know, defamation, mm. libel. Mm. That gets me, because I take my business really seriously. I don't want my business to be damaged. And often it happens on the weekend when they drink and get pissed over the weekend. Sunday nights is fucking classic for it. Mm. I bet if you looked at any of your one-star reviews, and hopefully you've got a few, you need a few. If you don't have a few, you're not pushing yourself hard enough or out there enough, but I bet you a lot of them come in at 2 a.m. on Sunday night. I mean, you know, the threads used to kick off on social media at that sort of time when people have got pissed. And it felt really unfair. So, you know, that would, I guess, be my kryptonite. And I deal with that really quickly. And I think that's important. Um, can you just remind me of the question? When you've been the most sort of, felt the most discomfort. Yeah. So, certainly, defamation and libel. Mm -hmm. Um... What happens is, as you transcend each level, new level, new devil, and some other new challenge manifests. And now I'm just grateful for the new challenge because it means I'm progressing because the, there's also equal reward. Mm. So, for example, um, security is quite an issue for us at the moment. I can't wear some of my watches. They're too expensive. Um, and I know that sounds like, oh, poor Rob. But... I like watches. <laughs> I, I do. Um, we've had, I've had my cars tracked by criminals and I've had sort of security issues. Um, thankfully, nothing at the kids yet, but you know, I know people who are very um, rich or have big influence. You know, that is mm -hmm. the next level. Some of them I know have been kidnapped um, or held at gun or knife point for their watch or their car. Um, so that's the side no one wants. It's not a nice side. Mm. Um, and thankfully, I'm, I'm, I'm a good... Like, maybe I need to make... I think Andrew Tate... I, I, I know I think... I think I know. Because I think he's admitted this, but not in 
the exact words, so I think I know what I'm about to say. I think there were some warnings with Andrew Tate before, you know, he got imprisoned and then it extended and extended and extended and extended. And Andrew Tate is convinced he's innocent, so let's say he is. If he is, there would have been multiple warnings. There were multiple warnings, probably from some very powerful people which are like, shut up. And he didn't. And I'm not saying he should have or shouldn't have, but as he was getting bigger and more powerful and saying more outrageous things, and I don't mean that in right or wrong, I mean that as in, you know, polarizing and controversial, there would have been warnings there. I haven't had a warning yet, but I like to think if very fucking powerful people started warning me, okay, that's my level. <laughs> and that's difficult because why would you not want to push it? Um, but I, I felt like shit, I'm getting close to that at some point. Um, I don't want anything to happen to my family for sure. Mm. You know? That's, I think, the, the shadow side of success, though. A lot of people will look at you and go, oh, Rob's life, you know, I'd love to have Rob's money, I'd love to see what he does. But what they don't I'd see I'd love is... to have my money, my wife's got <laughs> yeah. most of it. <laughs> but they think I want to have the cars, the watches. But yeah. what they don't see is the other side. And I recently interviewed uh, Spencer Lodge, who I, I, I know you know. Yeah. And um, he was telling us on the show that he, when he was doing his documentary, was getting, like, bullets in the mail and death threats for him and his family. And I just find that, you know, terrifying. Because when we start a business, we don't... I mean. I certainly haven't gone, that's when I'll have made it. You know, I want to have 200 million. I want to be having this fear because I, don't, I think, like you say, the level changes, but I don't know if you agree, you don't always know what the devil's going to be at that level. It's not like you go no. in with your eyes wide open. Well, yes and no. You don't know what you don't know. And if you've not been there, you don't know. Mm. But you can get mentors and speak to people who've mm. been there. And this is, you know, I'm talking about this stuff a bit ahead of time. Mm. Hopefully it doesn't happen to me, but ahead of time because I've, I've seen the clues. I haven't had any bullets in the mail and I haven't had any death threats, but I've had some pretty fucking nasty shit that's just below that. Been blackmailed, been stalked, you know, and stuff that's not great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you, you... And... Then part of you thinks, well, let's say you become very successful and very influential and actually you're, you're campaigning well and you, maybe you are making a difference in getting taxes down and resisting a cashless society and then you're getting fucking death threats on the other side. What do you do? Stop? Uh, I don't know. And this is, this is the thing. I, I'm pretty sure Andrew Tate had that moment. Or the, and then he got another one and another one. And it didn't. And, and he's just bulldozed through it like a fucking rhino. And he is where he is now. I, what will I do when it's my time? I don't know. Mm. Um, I wouldn't want to be a coward, but I wouldn't want to put my family in any kind of mm. risk. Um, but the good news is you can make easy 10 million or 50 million and get nowhere near any of that. Mm. Or the worst you'll have is a few people calling you a twat online, you know, and having a few refund requests. And, if, mm. you know, we had a one-star review, someone calling us fraudsters. We're not fucking fraudsters. We've been in 17 years. Mm. You know, we've got millions in the bank. Mm. I refunded someone who put a little complaint online when it was out of terms of the refund. And he'd just been diagnosed as being ill and just changed his mind because he'd been diagnosed as being ill. It's not my fucking fault, mm. but I, I refunded him anyway. Did, I did what I thought was a nice thing. 
um, and then someone else kicked off and wanted a refund and then one starred me for being a fraudster. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, and that's the worst it'll be at 10 million or, I mean, we're at what, 23 a year, 23 million, something like that in the mm-hmm. training business. And, you know, thankfully it's not that at that point yet. But like, you know, people who get to that big level, you know, think how many death threats Donald Trump would have had. Mm. Um, I mean, some people, they got assassinated for being themselves, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, not going to happen to 99.9% of us and isn't necessarily something that should scare you. It's just you, you asked and I wanted to be honest about the answer, i.e. I could have said, um, oh, well, a couple of times, you know, sales have been low or the, the lockdown. Um, but the ones that keep me up at night are the security-related ones, mm. yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate your honesty because I think a lot of people will value that and they want the raw and real. Now, Rob, you mentioned there about one of the reasons that, well, one of the good things that can help you get out of that is the mentorship, the guidance, people that can show you how to do it. And now you're doing that. I mean, you've helped, I don't know, thousands of people through progressive success with mentoring them. Who inspired you on your journey or who mentored you at your early stages for you to then go on and help other people? Um, a guy called Warren Bourget, who was a big property guy, unfortunately he's passed away now. Um, he, he, him um, taught me the, the no docs mortgages, um, documents. <laughs> we even call it something different in the UK. Um, and Mark Homer, who I'm business partners with, you know, he had a lot more property than I did when we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, Mar- John Demartini, I've learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. I think he's very wise. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a sponge. Uh, every day's a school day, so you know, I try and learn from everyone. I've, I'm fortunate enough to interview and know some billionaires from my show who I stayed in touch with. Um, Andreas Paniotto gave us some, some guidance and some mentoring. James Kahn from... Andres, Andres Paniotto is a billionaire property investor. James Kahn from Dragon's Den. He, he gave us some mentoring back in t- 2012. Yeah, so, you know... You go for the best, mm. you know. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll keep doing that. I mean, I, you know, world's changed now, and a lot of the people who are doing very well are in their twenties. Mm. You know, look at the Paul brothers, how well they're doing with social media engagement, and you know, monetizing that through boxing or you know, Prime or whatever. And you know, whether or not I agree with the end product, it's not really relevant. Are, are, have they been good at building a following and entertaining and getting engagement? Yeah, and they've been very disruptive. I mean, they've really disrupted boxing. Mm. Like, the biggest, most disruptive thing in boxing since Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson, probably, um, if you think about what they've done mm. and how they get more pay-per-views by, like, eight or nine times or something, I believe. Check your figures. Mm. Than even the, the, the most successful boxers in the world. It's mad. Mm. Mad. And so you learn from people like that as well. Well, you learn if you want to be successful from people mm. like that. That's what I, I value, though, because you learn from people that are maybe not in the exact same space, but look how they've done it. And I agree, with, particularly with Logan Paul and KSI, the way they've brought in Prime into the industry, you know, it's proven that it's the audience that you want to have. It's, it's when you have an audience, you can build a business. Nowadays, you've got Coca-Cola and McDonald's who are essentially going to be wanting to partner with influencers like that. And it's about finding the audience, not necessarily the best product. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, if you get put a gun to my head and said, would you rather have the best product or the, the largest audience? I'd take the largest audience. 
Now, obviously, if you keep selling them a load of shit in the end, you're going to lose trust with your audience. And you could argue if you've got a great product like an Apple iPhone, <laughs> good customers will find you. And both of those are true to a certain degree. But you've got a good couple of shots with a really good audience, engaged and size sizable. You got a good, you know, you'd have to sell them two or three shit things before they really don't trust you. Um, I personally think Prime's shit, yeah. um, but the kids don't. And I paid £22.50 for three fucking primes just to shut my kids up. So... There is something right there. Yeah, who's the, who's the idiot? But I, I, I get why all the kids want it. Mm. So I, I don't knock it. Um, yeah. And, you know, just because I'm becoming a bit more aware now of all the, the false things that are in food doesn't mean that prime's necessarily the worst drink on the market, does it? It doesn't mean mm. that at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have more reach and impact than global corporations. And, and, and also, the difference between a customer who buys something at convenience versus a fan. You know, a fan is my son going, I want Prime! I want Prime! I want Prime! Daddy! You know, but that's different than a convenience buyer mm. who buys when it's convenient to them. So, and with social media and having a personal brand, you build that loyalty because mm. people are fans. They buy everything. And this mm. is what you want. Mm. Powerful. That, that, but that also lends itself to podcasts as well because it's like regular like TV, TV series, podcast, radio, where you want people to come back for more and for listen. And I want to talk about your podcast a little bit because you've been, I think last time I checked, well over a thousand episodes now on, yeah. the, Disruptor, on the Disruptors podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I have another podcast called Money as well, and I think between the two of them, we must be pushing nearly 1,300 episodes. Wow. So, yeah, we've been doing this a little while. Um, yeah. Wow. It, it, I mean, it's from... Is what it I is. I don't even... I think we're number 20 or something on this show, so... Well, you know, it's, apparently it's the average somewhere. is around about 20, so you're wow. already exceeding, yeah. you know... Fingers crossed it continues. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, there might Maybe be different well. platforms by the time we get to thirteen thousand, but I'll uh, yeah. thirteen hundred. But I'll, I'll definitely give it a go. Yeah. You've you've met a lot of disruptive entrepreneurs or disruptive people, a lot of successful people. Who would you say you enjoyed interviewing the most? Chrissy Eubank. <laughs> the reason you heard a little <laughs> from Harry is because that was my hardest interview by a factor of one million. Oh wow. He was fucking slippery and obnoxious and offensive and high and weird yeah and i really enjoyed it and <laughs> harry at the end was like what the fuck just happened <laughs> and i was like that was amazing yeah yeah because you know there's there's people i could list that i'm a personal fan of mm. there's people i can list that came across really well in interview or i got on really well with but actually, the great interviews are the ch most challenging ones. Mm. And when you ask bold questions and, and you, you don't shy away or play small, yeah. So um, I can't really explain it without you watching it mm. because he was just so strange on another level of strange. Yeah. And it was weird. And everyone was like, this is fucking weird, but I have to watch it. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to love this. And this is a bit yeah, strange, but I do love yeah, it anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, I suppose in some ways it's like 
You know, you watch the serial killer stuff. You don't really want to watch, but there's something fascinating about it. And this, this interview was like that and being there and, you know, I think mo uh, me a few years before or many other newer interviewers would have just wilted like a piece of spinach in a wok. Mm. And uh, I didn't. I stood my ground and pushed back on him and he didn't like it. I love and, it. Yeah. So um, if you want some entertainment, I mean, there, well, I w yeah. there's more entertainment value really than, I mean, there's some useful stuff in there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's more entertainment mm. value. So that, that stands out. I mean, I interviewed Andrew Tate and that was great. Yeah. It was three hours and 20 odd minutes and, you know, he just opened up and mm. um, he's very good orator. And obviously he's probably the most controversial person right now. And um, it's on brand for me to interview someone like that, even though it still mm. pisses people off and they don't get why I'm interviewing someone like that, even though the show's called this <laughs> <laughs> the whole point is to be into no! entrepreneurs. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, pound for pound, he was probably the best thing for us at the time, mm. Andrew Tate was, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Although he did get a shadow ban. Not he didn't. It's not, you know, his, the content did. Um, and that was, that was hard. We've had a couple of shadow bans, which just put you back a year. Mm. Um, but it's all part of the game. You dance with the devil. You know, sometimes you get burned. Mm. Well, it's like you said, there's the risk. You've got to, you know, like you said on public speaking, you've got to go, you've got to make sure it lands, go for it. And it might land, it might not, but that's yeah. part of the risk you take. Who's, who's on the hit list? Who have you not had on any, either of the podcasts that you would like to have? Um, we recently had Greg Wallace of MasterChef of 20 years, and he's absolutely brilliant and a lovely human. I got to know him before the show, so I was really glad that one got done. Um, we had Nigel Farage again. He's brilliant. He's always good value. We've got Will I Am. I've wanted Will I Am for about four years. Fantastic. We've got Will I Am. Agreed. That one's not been recorded yet, so that that may take some time. Andrew Tate Part Two is the big one, and that's been agreed. Fantastic. Although we don't, that's not recorded yet. Um, Tristan Tate as well. That's agreed, and though not recorded yet. Um, I mean, I'd love Arnie Trump. Bill Gates, oh, Bill Gates. I mean, that would be spicy as fuck. Yeah, um, Elon Musk would be great. Did I say that? Um, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Peterson again. Sorry, Jordan, Jordan Peterson again. We had him mm. him once before. Is this yeah. Harry's hit list or your hit list, or is it a, mi a mixture? Uh, it's the same the thing, two. isn't yeah. it? Really, it's yeah, a, I love yeah, same Harry's thing. living through through your interviews yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of your viewers and listeners will be will be listening through that and wanting and, and being curious. And have you ever had that feeling where you've recorded an episode and you're like, oh, could have done that better, or I could have maybe asked different questions, or or are you the sort of person that goes, that's how it came out, and that's I'm both actually. Okay. So at the end, I let it go, like I used to do art. And so you have to know when to finish a piece of art. Mm. And if you keep painting on it, you end up ruining it. So you have to let it go. A bit like raising a child, you have to let them go into the world. So once it's done, I usually let them go. I, I, you know, there was, what, half a sentence, we'll edit out here, when, but other than that, this will go, and I won't mm. ask for anything to be edited. So um, I think I've got better at doing that and letting it be what mm. it is. Um, and also, I don't want Harry to spend all the time having to take stuff out. Mm. He's got better things to do with his time. 
Um, you know, he's very valuable to the brand and he goes out and gets guests and can do other things. So I don't want there to be a lot of friction. Um, so I always let myself get to that point. However, the really good ones, you only get to ask half your questions and you would have liked to have asked the other half and then you mm. just try and get a part two. Um, occasionally, just through negligence on my part, I leave out one of the best questions. So who controls the world? It always does well on our show. And once or twice, I think I've omitted to ask that just because just, I say negligence is a bit harsh word for myself, mm. but you know, just, just forgot, just missed it mm. out. Um, and occasionally I could have asked that, but you know, I'm in a privileged position and I, it's fun to do. And I mean, I always nick more time. Um, I, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it was, um, most people won't know him, but my, my rock idol is a guy called Stephen Wilson, who's in a progressive rock band called Porcupine Tree. And we were like two hours in and he's like, oh, I think, I think this, this is done now, isn't it? And I, and, and I just carried on. Um, and um, yeah, Harry just chuckled there because it's like, it's done when I decide, yeah. <laughs> not when you decide. I'm, I'm, I don't mind nicking a bit of their time. They're here. Yeah. And, uh, and also I let him pitch his new album. So I, I think he's probably glad I pushed it a bit. Um, so I, I always do my best. I mean, actually, that being said, Jordan Peterson, we got screwed a bit on the time, didn't we? Because um, they didn't let Harry set up before. So Harry had to set up in the time that we had to interview Jordan, even though Harry got there before. So Harry got there before so he could set up. So when Jordan got there, we were ready and we got the hour. But Harry had to set up and then we had to interview in the same time. So we only got, what, 40 minutes? 40 minutes. And that pissed me off. That really mm. pissed me off. Especially as some, some guy came up to him before, Jordan, how are you? And like, it was obvious I was there to interview him and it was time. And this guy just nicked his time for about 15 minutes and punched him in the fucking face. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that um, that sucked. Yeah. Um, and we and, and they promised a round two. And I, I can't say this about Jordan Peterson, but if their team is watching, their team promised a round two. Mm. You should deliver on your word what you promised. Um, and that hasn't happened yet. So that pissed you know that pissed me off. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm sure they're not. Yeah. Sure, enough. Jordan could just get a hundred grand to go and sign a pair of tits or something now with how <laughs> powerful he is. Sure, he doesn't give a fuck. Although one thing I will say is to all the agents out there, you know, if you agree and promise something, do it. Because you make the guys you represent look bad. Because I, I, if, if I've been promised an interview with Jordan Peterson, I assume it's had the blessing of Jordan Peterson. So I might start to resent Jordan Peterson if I don't get that interview, might have not been anything to do with Jordan. The agent might not have even put it in front of Jordan. If Jordan said yes, the agent should, should do it. Because mm. um, this is your reputation. You know, Bartlett did that to us. You know, he's quite big now, Stephen Bartlett. But like, you know, yeah, you should come on my show. Yeah, come on my show. Yeah, you should come on my show. And then, yeah, oh, oh, wait a minute, he's got a bit, bit, bit too big now. Mm. You know, with all of his. Uh, and it's like, I, I actually liked the guy when I hung out with him. And then after that, I just thought that was a bit knobbish. And so it leaves a bit of a taste in your mouth. And I, I even say to myself, I don't want to feel like that because I liked him. But just don't do that. Mm. And, and even, even if you, you know, have to make up for it or you end up doing it later, just sort it out. Yeah, yeah I try. I learn, and I, by the way, me saying that, I'm not perfect. So I also, that's why I, I think, <laughs> whatever. But I think it's a good way to live your life. Mm. 
Um, and I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of vacuous, empty promises and bullshit out there in the, in the world of media. Mm -hmm. If I say I'll be on someone's show, I'll be on their show. And if, you won't find anyone out there that's, if I've said it, they've not got on it. And, and if one slipped through the net, email support at robmore.com, we'll sort it out. I'll get it mm -hmm. done. Because, you know, I just think it's the right thing to do. Mm. You're right, though, because often as businesses grow and brands grow, standards can slip because maybe what you expected isn't always what the team expects, but I think it comes back down to everyone taking responsibility for their what their brand represents. Right? Yeah, I, look, I ran a business and it got big and I got more opportunities than I could handle. Like, I, you know, I even feel guilty when I don't reply to someone on WhatsApp and sometimes mm. I have to ignore someone on WhatsApp. Someone's pitching me like 10 times on WhatsApp at the moment. He's probably pissed off with me. I should reply. I, I get it as well. You can't do everything. But if you said it, then... Because, like, I've, I've got quite a lot of reach. Let's say I put this episode on my show. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a few million people that are going to watch or listen to it, possibly. And I just said what I said about Bartlett, and I wouldn't have done if he's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he stuck to his word. And if it's not him, it's his agent. Well, actually, he said it to me, so it was him. Mm -hmm. So he can't even say that. And if it's his agent, then the agent's... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, though, it's what people say about you says more about your brand than whatever colour, logo, values you put up on your wall. Because people will remember Yeah, that. that's true. That is true. What people say about you is much more your brand than, yeah, your, your image, imagery. Mm -hmm. That is true. Actually, though, if I'm being self-critical, I've just been critical. And what does that say about me? Mm. But I think it's... I'm also critical about central bank digital currencies and cashless society. Does that make me wrong because I'm, oh, I shouldn't be critical of them? They need to be fucking held to account. Mm. We cannot have a cashless society. Life is fucked if we have a cashless society. So actually, people need to be held accountable. Um, and so I might have done them a little bit of a favour, maybe. We'll see. Mm. We'll see if anything changes. Well, we're talking about time and I want to be respectful of yours because I have absolutely no clue where we are with time, nor <laughs> where, what I was promised either. So being respectful of your time, Rob. Well, I'm not going anywhere, so you can ask the questions you've got in your head. Fantastic. Well, we'll see, we'll see, how, see how we but get you, on. I mean, you weren't promised anything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. when uh, Katie messaged me saying, you've got this much time. I was like, we'll see. <laughs> but once Rob and I get chatting, we shall see. Yeah. Um, so, Rob, now, obviously, you've achieved so much in your career over the last sort of, 17, 18 years that you've been building this up. Whether or not you probably see that, I don't know if you take moments of being like, shit, this is really awesome. But what's next for Rob Moore or for Progressive or the Money, money Show or anything like that that you're working on at the moment? Um, yeah, well, we're, we're, um, we are doing a lot more money-related content. I've just written a book called Money Matrix. I'm writing a book called Money Loves You. Um, and, yeah, I've got a lot of money content I want to share with the world. And I think one of the big problems in society is a, their bad relationship with money. So certainly that's, you're going to see a lot more of that related content from me over the next few years. Um, we'll keep interviewing disruptors. We'll keep drawing, growing our training and information-based business. I'll keep investing in property, buying watches and cars. And <laughs> McQueen and Laboutin. Of course. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love business and entrepreneurship. We'll keep playing the game of social media and dancing the dance and trying to figure out virality. Our Nigel Farage interviews are just currently popping off at the moment. It's really good. Um, our, our money, More Money Secrets has had a good week, that channel. 
So, you know, you have moments in time where some of your channels are doing well and some of them are doing shit. We'll just keep trying to get them all to do quite well. We got out on the streets of Peterborough a few times. We we're asking people money-related questions, you know, on the streets of Peterborough. I love that. Yeah, That's so, awesome. so just trying to switch it up mm -hmm. and keep the variety there. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to write at least one book a year, maybe more. I've got a series on money of probably which I'm two in of about seven. Wow. Yeah. And that was actually something I wanted to ask you about because I run a book publishing business and I've still yet to this day meet, met anyone that's published as many books as you have. Yeah. It's definitely been a It's my a therapy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> therapy. So, last time I checked, you'd published 18 books, but I'm pretty sure it's going up or has gone up since then. So how, what, what number book are you on to now? I don't, actually don't know if it's 17 or 19. Okay. And that's including um, co-authored. Mm -hmm. So I co-authored Reinvent Yourself with Joe Ratner, co-authored with Mark Homer, co-authored with Kevin McDonald. Mm -hmm. um, so including those, because mm -hmm. if you look at just my name, I think you find eight. Mm -hmm. um, so 17 or 19, I don't know which one. If you found 18 and I've just done Money Matrix, then it's 19, although I've nearly finished Money Loves You, which would be 20. Wow. Yeah, I don't, it, I, yeah, it is what it is. Mm. What, what was your first book and what made you want to write it? Property Investing Secrets in 2008. Because a few people had asked us, well, more than a few actually, had said, you know, you guys should um, write a book or, um, there's no podcast back then. Um, you know, people started recognising that we knew about property. And I also thought, well, you know, if I could sell a thousand books and, and get 200 of them to come to an event on the subject of the book, that could be good for business. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever wanted to write a book or add more into your books of your own personal story or has it been kept kind of separate like your social media? Mm, I'm a bit torn on that one. Mm. On the one hand, I think some books are a bit self um, aggrandizing, shall, shall, let's use that word. Um, on the other hand, I think I, I, maybe I can be go to a, my, my default is how to, mm -hmm. hardcore how to. Um, this, is, this is how you do this, this, and this. This is how you get rich. But it, like the world wants storytelling and entertainment. And so I sometimes maybe default into how to without going into, well, what about my story on the journey towards that how to? Mm. So I sort of, I think you can get most of my stories through most of my books. And I'm glad that I, there isn't just one big fat passage of me bragging about myself. Because mm -hmm. it'd look out of date now. It'd be like seven books. This yeah. is my seventh book. Well, actually, it's now 20. So I'm glad I didn't do that because yeah. it would have just go out of date. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I think... Your credibility is in your experience of having done the thing. And so, you know, I write about money, so I have to tell personal experiences. Otherwise, people might say, well, sorry, how much have you got, mate? Mm. Um, why should I listen to you? And you need to you'd feed people that, you know, you need to um, show them that you know what you're talking about and that you're credible. Mm. I think I see that a lot in the book publishing world where you usually have what, people are in one or two camps, how to core or here's my memoir, here's my biography. And actually, unless you have a big brand, yeah. no one gives a shit. No, like, no one's gonna buy it. Um, sad but true, sad yeah. but true. A lot of people want to write an autobiography about 20 years too early. Yeah. I haven't written an autobiography and I've done 20 books. 
So I've either got no self-confidence or I'm waiting. Mm. You only get one chance to land that autobiography. Wait mm. and wait and wait. And then when you're big, then do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no unfortunately, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. You're right. Which is why if you lace your personal experience in with some useful how-to, that can be a mm. good mix. It can, it can be a memoir stroke how-to hybrid. Mm. And I think that that works. Yeah. That's, that's what I always recommend. It's weaving in your personal story into the how-to, because yeah. the book's never about us. Your books aren't about you, my books aren't about me. It's about the person that wants the mm. value, but they learn best through story. Yeah, and if they um, are learning how to get wealthy, they want to know immediately first that the author is wealthy. Yeah, and I imagine teaching money. I mean, I definitely don't teach any money-making strategies, but I imagine teaching money, the first thing people are gonna do is search you. How much money is he worth? I probably would gather one of the first, most searched questions on Google is how much is Rob Moore worth? Um, yeah, the, the, the second is Rob Moore net worth. Yeah. The first is Rob Moore wife. <laughs> Seriously? No idea why. <laughs> Gemma needs to get on this podcast. <laughs> it, it would, I'll tell you, it would blow up. It would blow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I actually addressed that in Money Matrix. I said, um, my accountant, my business partner and my wife have sworn me to secrecy in revealing my net worth, so you'll never find it out. Go and Google it if you want, and you'll find 70,000 and 200 million, and neither mm. of those are, are correct, so good luck. Mm. I can't tell you that, because cause actually, I can't. Mm. And actually, I probably don't know. I've stashed a load of money everywhere. I'll probably be mm. a few million out. I can tell people it's more than 10. I can tell people it's less than 500. <laughs> but that's all you're getting. But I, I will be specific with what you know, what property values are and what money I've made. I just bought a £255,000 watch. You know, I can, I can give you some specifics, um, but, but no one's going to, surely no one's mm. going to reveal their net worth, are they? Mm. I, I mean, anyway, I actually think, right, I heard one guy, um, I, it was Samuel Leeds, and someone asked him what his net worth was. And he said, I like to think it's 25 million, i.e. he hasn't got a fucking clue or he's just made that shit up. So I think, <laughs> unless you say, oh yeah, I track it every six months and I just looked at my spreadsheet last week mm. and it's this, you either don't know or you're guessing or you're bullshitting. I actually asked Robin Sharma, um, what's your net worth? And he was like, that is such a rude question. I was quite pleased he was offended. It is a rude question actually, that's why we ask it. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, yeah and like, I, I, I would, I would answer it honestly. And you know, that's the going back to being authentic. You know, I, I roughly know what it is. And part of me thinks I want to say, mm. but it, my wife and my business partner, especially like if my, my tax accountant says, if you blur out your net worth, that's going to cause you all sorts of issues. <laughs> Don't do it. So, um, and that's being authentic, listening to wise people around mm. me. Yeah. And it's good though, because it also shows that they know you because some people wouldn't even be given that instruction. Some well, yeah, it's a like, warning. Yeah. yeah, it is a warning. <laughs> you will be tempted and you will be asked, so I'm, I'm only tempted it. because I, I, I like to be as truthful as possible. Mm. You know, I do believe I'm pretty truthful. You know, you even said yourself how I am on and off camera is similar. You know, I, I can lie too. I'm a human. Anyone can lie. Mm. So I'm not saying I've never lied. And I'm not saying sometimes... I will decline an answer, but I mostly don't. I don't think I've declined an answer on this show. So that's, that, I'm, that is my goal to be like that. Mm. So it does somewhat disappoint me if I don't answer a question, mm. but I'm not answering it for the right reasons. Yeah, 
Yeah, and not yeah. because of yourself as well. It's not like you're protecting yourself. You're doing oh, it I'd for your... I'd fucking say it. And then I'd get myself in shit. <laughs> yeah, and funny enough, your tax advisor, your wife and your business partner probably all have different reasons for you not wanting to Yeah, they do. That. They all have selfish reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're all linked to me in some way. Um, but no, I'm pleased that I've managed to keep my mouth mm. shut about that one. Mm. Um, although I haven't looked at my spreadsheet and put all my assets in one place for that, that many months, mm. I might be out by a few mil. Mm. And yeah. for anyone listening or watching, I'm not going to ask Rob that question. So those of you guys who well, are still listening to, and tuning we've, into... We've yeah. pretty much covered it. Yeah, without, exactly. I've, I've answered it in a way I would have ans answered it even without you asking it. <laughs> but one of the things, Rob, you mentioned there about your spreadsheets. I remember when, when I was mentoring for you and we'd be in the room and you'd got students there asking questions and you would just get up a spreadsheet of inside your business and you're like, oh, managing director's not going to like this, but I want to show you how I do this. Yeah. You're very open when you're mentoring. You're not like, here's what I'm going to teach you, but here's what I actually do. Yeah. Is that something you've always done? Have you always been very open no. and transparent? No. Or is it something you've learned on the journey? No. Well, I mean, when, you, when we started in business, we didn't want anyone to fucking know how we mm. succeeded because I had a scarcity mindset and a fear of failure and a fear that if I told anyone, they would nickel my clients or they would nickel my staff or they would copy me. So no, I was quite guarded. Now, I'll quite happily give everyone all the information because mm. one, I know most of them will do fuck all. And two, it's a gauntlet to those that will do something, i.e. Mm. go do it. Um, and I've got an abundant mindset now, not a scarce mindset. And I've got clients who pay me 25 to 50 grand so they can have all the best shit. Mm. So I've changed on that. Um, and I'm, I actually like that about myself. Mm. My business partner's still a bit more like, oh, cool, no, no, can't have it. Um, uh, but that's him, and I, I like that wasn't a criticism. Is um, and actually for our best clients, he does give the best bits. Mm. Um, yeah. So now I've changed, I've changed my mm. tune on that. And also, from what I've seen from an outsider's perspective, people have taken it and have copied your business model and have tried to be the best. And at where it. are they? And where are we? Exactly. But they're they're still they have done well, but they've not achieved. They'll no, not all. A lot. Most of them haven't done well. A lot of them come back asking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's hard. I'm, I, I know that maybe came across a bit cocky, mm. but it's, business is fucking hard. Yeah. And doing business for nearly 20 years is really hard. Mm. Um, so I, I'd actually want to help people along the way, give them the assets and the resources I've got. Statistically, they're likely to fail. Statistically, I'm likely to fail, though I like to break statistics. Um, so no, it, it, it might come across a bit cocky and flippant. It's not. It's hard. It's really mm. fucking hard to succeed for a long time. Um, some people do. I don't know anyone that's left me that's done better than me. Um, but I'm not really comparing myself to them. That's just, mm. we're on different paths in life. Mm. And you're also already, you're sharing what you've done, but you're, you're not one to share things that you're trying or you're testing because you want to give what works. So you're, what I've always noticed about Progressive is you're always going, well, let's invest in it, let's test it ourselves first. If that works, then we'll roll well, it Well, you out. look stupid if you recommend something you haven't tried and it fails on someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I, I like to lose my own money because I'll, I'll make sure it's small. Yeah, because if you give a couple of duff recommendations, in the end you're going to lose goodwill with that person. Mm. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why Mark's a bit like that, and I don't blame him, because he's given recommendations in the past and they've got burned, and it's not his fault, and it looks bad on him. Um, my business partner, Mark. So, yeah. If I've got a set of data, I don't mind sharing it. And I think 
One, who's going to benefit from that? And two, how much have they invested with me? And three, how, are they likely, how likely are they to succeed? If they want everything for free and they're not likely to succeed, then they don't get as much as if someone's invested 50 grand in mentoring with me for a year. And they'll, like, the people who've invested 50 grand in mentoring with me for a year, they can have access to the, the Google Doc, which is the KPIs that I use in my business, which has about 300 sets of data on it. Um, and sometimes people succeed and often they fail and that's just the way it is. Mm, yeah, the, the big, there's big differences between those people that do succeed and don't. What would you say has been the core thing that's made you and Mark, if you put it into business context, so different so that you have then succeeded that length of time? Yeah, um, one thing I'm very clear about is the fact that we're in business together and I have a business partner and he's very different to me. And he's good at the operations and the technical and the practical and the analytical and the legal. And I'm good at the strategy and the vision and the sales and the marketing and the communication. So we're very good in very different areas and very extreme, extremely different. And that's probably the main reason. Mm. Um, most people fail because they um, grow too quick or um, they start doing all right and then they move into something they don't know anything about and that fails them. They fail at it. Um, they give up too soon. They don't give up quick enough. They haven't got the stomach for it. They just wanted it for the money. You know, there's quite a few different types of reasons as to why someone might not endure. I love what I do, I do what I love. I've always made sure I've got enough variety, but within the same niche. I've got a business partner who's good in the areas I'm not. Um, I've learned to leverage and see, face necessary evils and see them as necessary, whereas most people don't want to do them, don't want to hire staff, don't want to spend on marketing agencies, um, don't want to do social media, and I see those as necessary, shouldn't call them evils, necessary benefits. Um, so yeah, there's just some of a sprinkling mm. of seasoning of the reasons why some fail and some succeed. Mm. Now Rob, I do want to wrap up this interview with one final question. You've shared a lot of your inspiring story and also a lot of inspiring messages for some of our viewers and our listeners. Who do you know that has an inspiring story that we should have on the show next? Um, so whenever we talk about guests, there's essentially who's most likely to get views and who's a really good guest. And sometimes that's the same, but often it's not. So there's two people I can think of who you're not necessarily going to get a billion views, but their stories are great. Mm -hmm. And that is Mark Ormrod. He came on my show. Um, look him up. And Sniper. Remind me of the Sniper. Craig Harrison. Okay. Um, has the world record for the longest snipe, Sniper kill. And um, was just so unbelievably honest about his extreme... What do they call it? P-P-T-S-D. No, chronic P-T-S-D. Yeah. And so in terms of story, Paul Merson. In terms of stories, Paul Merson, Craig Harrison, Mark Ormrod, they're like, jaw hits the floor. Wow. So uh, they're the best. Um, and they're the best I've heard on any podcast, even ones that are bigger than mine. Um, but they're not necessarily the most viral. Mm. But I don't care. Um, if you want virality, Andrew Tate, Andrew Tate, 
Tristan or Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Robert. It's been, it's been really great having you here on the show. Thank you for having us Pleasure. in your studio. And for anyone that is tuning in, I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have. It has been awesome. So many golden nuggets shared. What is it about always, people, a lot of people have coffee cups in... I mean, that's not even got any coffee in it, look. Do you know, it actually did. I was just finished, oh. I was finished drinking but it. The, the, it's not got the lipstick on. The lipstick's <laughs> been taken off because there's lipstick on that. Yeah, there is a lipstick um, on that. Well, what is it with people who are like, oh, look, there's me and my coffee. Is yeah. there anything behind or is it? Was, is there, any... there is. So yeah. I, do a, I do a Facebook Live series called Coffee with Chloe every morning. So I go right. live every single morning at 8am. And so these photos were designed for that. And the oh, podcast was originally then. going to yeah. be to do with that. But we decided to have a slightly different brand for it. Okay, well, that, that makes yeah. sense. Coffee with Chloe, 8 a.m. every morning. Yeah. All right. Exactly. So thank cool. you guys for being here. It's been awesome having you listening and, uh, and watching. If you are watching on our YouTube channel, if you haven't already, do share in the comments, as usual, what has been the biggest takeaway from this live. And if you're not already subscribed and following us on YouTube or all the usual podcast platforms, make sure you do that next so you don't miss out on our next inspiring guest. We'll see you next week. Bye.